Welcome, Bible study friends. It always is a great joy for me, and I find it uh, very soul-enriching for me to spend time with you studying the Word of God. Again, thank you for your commitment to in-depth study of God's Word. Uh, we are continuing and making our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is addressing a lot of issues uh, that that early Christian community was facing there in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very cosmopolitan town, Greco-Roman town in what we would call Greece today. Uh, it was uh, very famous for being uh, a place of great sexual immorality. In the ancient world, to Corinthianize actually meant to live a sexually immoral life. So that tells you something about that city. But, but Paul planted the gospel there. And people received Christ, and the early Christian community was set there. And then Paul had to work with them to help them grow in faith, to grow in grace, to be sanctified by the Spirit of God that makes us holy, uh, to become differentiated from the culture in which they found themselves. So we are in chapter 7, and chapter 7 is a rather lengthy chapter where Paul is talking about uh, marriage uh, or the lack thereof. He's talking about um, human sexuality. He's been doing that already before we got to chapter 7. He's talking about uh, some of the appropriate boundaries uh, that we're to uh, observe. We want to use the great gift of human sexuality that God has given us as his creation. What we're going to be looking at today is chapter 7. We'll pick up in verse 17. That's where we left off last week. Uh, I'm trying to maintain the segments of thought that the Apostle Paul is, is presenting. It does feel at times that he's talking about just a lot of different issues. By the time we finish 1 Corinthians, I will hopefully uh, help, help us understand how these issues are tied together. But I am trying to keep his uh, segments of thoughts together. So today we're only going to be looking at chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. It's, it's here in this section about human sexuality and about marriage or the lack thereof. Um, and he will continue to treat the same topic after we finish today's discussion. So what he's going to say to us in this text is that we need to develop that Christian practice, discipline, attitude of learning when to be content learning when to be content, and learning how to be content. Um, that is an art form. It's a spiritual art form. There are times in life when we should never be content. We should never be content with violence and hunger and terrible things coming against God's creation. There's times when it would be extremely sinful for us to be contented, but there are times also when we need to accept our lot in life and uh, use our station in life uh, as a place from which we can um, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's going to be talking about that topic some uh, in regards to both um, uh, social status, in regards to even um, religious ritual. Uh, evidently, what was happening in Corinth was when people received the good news of Jesus Christ and allowed themselves to be embraced by the grace of Christ, uh, they thought that they needed to make drastic changes in their situation in life, in their station or status in life. Uh, and we do make great changes, 
But even in light of the fact that we make great changes or begin a journey of making great changes in our life, that doesn't mean we have to change all the circumstances about our life. We can keep our job. We can live in the same city. We can maintain our marital status. Uh, We don't have to uh, uh, jettison a lot of our lives in order to embrace Jesus Christ. Uh, We can learn how to, uh, pardon the cliche, bloom where where we're planted. Uh, We can learn when to be content and how to be content uh, with what we have been assigned in life. So uh, that's just a few words of introduction. This will be a little clearer, particularly in regards to Paul's discussion here in chapter 7. So let's, let's dig into the text. Verse 17. And remember, he's talking about marriage or singleness or celibacy. He's going to talk later about virginity. He's talking about being widowed. Um, so he picks up the discussion in verse 17, chapter 7, by saying, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So obviously at this point, he's laying down a principle. He's laying down a principle that whatever God has given you in life, whatever God has assigned you to for your calling in life or your task in life, uh, you're just to um, lead that life. You don't have to receive Christ and then make drastic changes in the circumstances of your life. So this is a general rule. This is a general spiritual principle. Uh, We learn to uh, blossom where we're planted. We learn to um, uh, do the greatest good in whatever circumstance or situation we find in life. Now, obviously, Paul would say, and he's going to say it a little bit later in this text, there are some times in life we need to change the circumstances. We need to take the bull by the horn and change the circumstances. Uh, Again, that's why it's an art form to know how to accept what we cannot change or accept what we should not change. Um, And then perhaps change what we can change, change what we're called to change. So he started here in verse 17 with this principle, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Each one of us... uh, Each one of us have a calling in our lives. Each one of us are called to ministry. As soon as we receive Jesus Christ, he fills us with his spirit so we can be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. And um, generally speaking, we are to do that right where we are. Um, Let's pick up in verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? In other words, were they already Jewish? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Now, I know that sounds strange to you. It may sound exceptionally painful to you. But there was a practice in Paul's day that could correct circumcision, uh, could undo the aesthetics of what circumcision created for the adult male. Now, you ask, why in the world would anybody want to do that? Again, remember Paul's culture. Paul is... In the Greco-Roman world, in the Greco-Roman world, not the Jewish world, but in the Greco-Roman world, public baths were common, and then um, athletic events where the men would compete in the nude was common. 
So if you were circumcised, if you were Jew and you had been circumcised because Jews are to be circumcised as a sign of their covenant, um, it would be apparent if you began participating in some of these Greco-Roman um, culture, cultural standards and activities, public baths, athletic contest. So there was a um, surgical practice called epispasm that they did in the first century where they could sort of undo the aesthetics of circumcision. And uh, someone who'd obviously been raised a Jew and been circumcised, if they wanted to get along with the Greco-Roman world and become more accommodating to the Greco-Roman world, if fit in better to the Greco-Roman world, they might want to undo their circumcision. Well, Paul says, um, uh, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. If you're a Jew and you've embraced Christ, you don't need to undo your circumcision. He goes on to show the other side of that coin. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So if you've embraced Christ and you're not among the circumcised, which basically means in Paul's world, among the Jewish community... You don't have to be circumcised. Let me say something. Well, let me read the next verse. I need to say something about what Paul is saying here. Verse 19, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. If you looked at verse 19 there, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, you would think that Paul is really down on circumcision. And there are other places, such as the book of Galatians, where if you read it and you don't know the context, you would think that Paul is really down on circumcision. Let me make a summary statement that really does come from decades of studying the New Testament. Um, and I'm not giving you anything that's unique to me, uh, but I'm, I'm offering you the best that I have found among New Testament scholarship. When we think about things such as circumcision, Jewish law, Jewish ritual, and the way Paul felt about that, you need to understand this. Paul lived and died a Jew. He never knew himself to be anything else. He was a Jew that had embraced uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who came in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, according to Jewish prophecy. Uh, in Paul's day, there was a multitude of ways to live as a Jew. Remember the Gospels. You run across Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. We know about the Essenes. There was a multiplicity of ways to be Jewish. Paul was a Nazarene. That's the way he was Jewish. He was a Jew who had embraced Jesus of Nazareth as the Mashiach, or the Messiah of the Jewish people and the world. So you need to understand that when you think about Paul. He lived and died a Jew, which is also why if you look at the book of Acts, toward the end of the book of Acts, when Paul would go back to Jerusalem, he would observe laws of purification. He would observe rites of purification. So let me give you a summary statement, which I think does contain the best of New Testament scholarship regarding Paul's view of the law or God's view of Torah, God's view of the, of the laws, the 613 laws that are dear to the Jewish community. He never got to a place in his life where he was negative about those. Here's what he preached consistently in all of his letters. Gentiles 
those of us that are not Jewish. We don't have to become Jewish to embrace Christ. We don't have to observe kosher. We don't have to be circumcised because circumcision is a sign of conversion to the Jewish faith. So it would have made, it would have made perfect sense in Paul's world for people, and there were people in the early church who said that in order to embrace this Jewish Messiah, you have to embrace Judaism. And that's when uh, circumcision came to play. Uh, circumcision was their rite of initiation, like baptism is, for the Christian community. So to be circumcised is to be converted to the Jewish faith. Paul did not believe that Gentiles had to convert to the Jewish faith. So therefore, Paul said Gentiles do not have to keep um, uh, civil, civil law. Gentiles do not have to keep ceremonial law. Gentiles do not have to keep ritual law. The moral law of God still stands. What God wants morally, like, for instance, Ten Commandments. But Christians don't have to observe the ritual law, the purification laws, all that uh, um, are intrinsic to being Jewish. Now, Paul was saying that to, Jew, to Gentile audiences. He was saying to Gentile audiences, you should not be circumcised. And he got very, very angry at any early Christians, probably Jewish Christians, who were saying to Gentiles that they had to be circumcised. They had to embrace the fullness of Judaism in order to become Christian. Paul was adamant that we Gentiles don't have to embrace all of Judaism to become Christian. So here's the summary statement. For Jews, the law is important and the law continues. For Gentiles, we don't have to observe the law except for the moral parts of the law, the spirituality of the law. We don't have to observe something like circumcision. In other words, he's saying if you're Jewish and you come to Christ, you still be Jewish. If you're Gentile and you come to Christ, you can still be Gentile. And that's why he says uh, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters, but keeping the commandments of God. You don't have to convert to the Jewish faith in order to be Christian. And that's that's behind everything Paul says that sounds negative to our ears about the Jewish law. Uh, he was positive toward the Jewish law. Uh, there's, go read Romans 9, 10, and 11, those chapters. He was very, very positive to the Jewish law, but it was something for the Jewish people to keep them separate. It's not something that has to be uh, demanded of Gentiles. So he's saying you don't have to change uh, your status as Jew or Gentile when you come to Christ. Uh, let me read on verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. That's the point that he's making here. He actually is going to make it three times in this small section. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Now, some translations can say slave. Uh, I prefer bondservant because there's a big difference between slavery in the ancient world, Greco-Roman world, and the slavery that we knew in 17th through uh, 19th century um, United States. Very different forms of slavery. So bondservant is probably a better term. And some people are shocked when it appears here that Paul is accepting slavery. Look at the text. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But he does say parenthetically, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant 
of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of other people. Um, so again, Paul's saying, you don't have to change all the situation in your life when you come to Christ. You can live out your Christian faith in whatever situation you find yourself in. We don't want to do anything immoral. We don't want to do anything against the will of God. But we can live out our Christian calling in, in a lot of different situations. We don't have to change our social standing, our status. We don't have to change from Jewish to Gentile, from Gentile to Christian. And he does say here, uh, you can follow Christ as a bondservant, perhaps slave, or as a freed person. Um, you have to understand, in the ancient world, Greco-Roman world, about 50% of the population were bond servants or slaves. Uh, bond servants and slaves um, lived a quality of life that ran the spectrum. Some were important parts of families. Some were privileged parts of families. Um, some were not. Some were brutally treated. Um, I still think American slavery was far worse generally speaking, than the slavery found in the Greco-Roman world. But the slavery in the Greco-Roman world could be as bad as what we um, instituted here in the United States in our early history. But in Paul's day, um, you could be a bondservant, a slave. You could be um, under the control of someone. You could be under control of someone until you saved enough money to perhaps purchase your freedom or someone else purchased your freedom. Uh, and then you'd no longer be a bond slave. Uh, sometimes that uh, servanthood was like indentured servanthood for only a period of time. Now, if you go study Paul's letter to Philemon, after Philemon's slave Onesimus became a Christ follower, um, Paul was adamant to Philemon that he was to treat Onesimus very differently. Uh, Paul is not really accepting or rejecting slavery at this point, as he knew it there in the ancient world. He's just saying if you're, if you're a bondservant or if you're free, either one can be Christian. There were a lot of bondservants, slaves, that were part of the early Christian community. Um, but you notice that parenthetical statement. He does quickly say, but if you can become free, become free. Because we know that it is a horrible sin to think one human being can own another human being. And eventually it was the, the Christian movement in both the United States and Great Britain that ended slavery, that brought about the uh, abolition of slavery. It was the Christian movement, people within the Christian movement that did that. But at this point, Paul is just trying to make the case that whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you're free or slave, uh, he would say in Galatians, whether you're male or female, he's been saying up to this point in 1 Corinthians, and now I'm going to tie you back into the text, he's been saying up to this point, whether you're married or single, you can be faithful to Christ. And that's why here uh, we finish this section of verse 24 with Paul saying a third time, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So again, it is an art form. Uh, this is where we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to be immersed in Scripture and Christian spirituality to know when to be content and when, when to make change happen. Uh, in our culture, we probably have to learn more about how to be content or satisfied 
in our station in life. Again, you've heard the caveat. There's plenty of stations in life. There's much about human existence that we should never be content with. Uh, child abuse, the list goes on. Uh, but Paul is speaking in generalities here. Whatever your position in life is, you can be faithful to Christ in that position in life. We're not as concerned about earthly distinctives in the Christian community, status differentiation in the Christian community, as the world has always been uh, and as Paul's day was. He says, become free, but if you're free, don't ever become enslaved to other people. And we all know what it's like to become enslaved to the opinions um, and the attitudes of other people. Paul's saying, if you're free in Christ, stay free from other people. Be enslaved to Christ and enslaved to Christ only. And he's actually saying here, if you're a bondservant, you still can be slave, enslaved first and foremost to, to Christ and live as a Christian bondservant. Um, but he, he's saying here that these, these status changes, while they may be very important and significant, don't always have to be eradicated when we come to faith. So that's why he's saying here three times the general rule is that as Christians we can serve Christ right where we are. We need to keep asking ourselves, does God have me placed right here where I'm at right now in my life, in my circumstances, because God wants me to be a witness to Christ in this setting. I know it's always a greener grass on the other side. But sometimes God has us right where God wants us so that um, we can be uh, influenced for Jesus Christ in that, in that specific situation. So we'll pick up again next week with a little longer section as he begins to talk about uh, being unmarried or, or being a virgin. We'll, we'll start talking about that next week. Again, may God richly bless you. Thank you for joining us and sharing this time with us. Amen.